0: Greetings. Today, we're talking with Lauren McDonald, the founder of EV Adoption. Lauren and I have a great conversation around a few different topics, but I think one of the things that I've really enjoyed talking more and kind of learning about, Lauren, is just the shared coincidental uh, career history that we've had together, kind of coming from some of the marketing space, but now also working with a lot of large global auto EMs, especially during this transition to electrification. We discussed with them everything from the importance of level 2 charging to the current rollout and challenges of public fast charging in the United States especially around the IRA's funding in the NEVI program and for which chargers and what locations are chosen and at what rate. And unfortunately it's starting to sound like that that's actually one other area that Tesla's having a large advantage is their continued interest in continuing to roll out public fast chargers without the need for government federal funding and what is slowing down current public chargers. These are just a few topics that we talk about on today's episode. Overall, I found it super fascinating. I'm really excited to share this one with you. Enjoy. Thank you, Lauren. Uh, It's great to be speaking with you today. I'd love to kind of just let people have a quick intro from you for those who may not be familiar.
1: Yeah, great. First, uh, thanks uh, for having me on the show. Really excited to to talk about all things EV and EV charging. And um, yeah, just a quick background. I mean, um, I'm uh, one of those people who was born and raised in, in the San Francisco Bay Area, believe it or not, back in the 60s during the hippie, hippie phase and stuff. And so I was always fascinated by all things sustainable even before that was a word right <laughs> that, that we use, but the environment and, and, um, so actually before EVs were a thing, I was interested in knew that eventually electric vehicles were going to be the future. And, um, but, uh, you know, never sort of really did anything about it until I reached a, a certain, uh, you know, age of gray hair, no hair, as we like to say, and, uh, launched, uh, actually, a. uh, a blog called Lauren Green, which only people in their 60s will probably get the uh, the analogy there. It's the name of a of an actor who was on a a, a, a western TV show back in the 60s. But um, uh, and I was I was writing about everything sustainable, right? Solar, EVs, water, packaging, you know, recycling, everything like that. And and uh, one day in 2016, I just said, you know what? I'm not building any like deep competence in one, er- one area. I'm not sort of focused, uh, um, and uh, I, I decided out of all of the topics to focus on EVs because I thought it would be sort of the most interesting thing from kind of a behavioral economics perspective, right? Like, what is it going to take, you know, to get Americans, as we like to say, uh, to adopt uh, uh, adopt EVs. And uh, that just seemed like sort of one of the most fascinating things. So I launched literally on January 1st, 2017, the EV adoption website. I was working full time at uh, IBM as a marketing evangelist at the time. So I was doing this um, on weekends and my, my spare time. And uh, uh, primarily as a, you know, as a, as again, sort of like a thought leadership resource website. Um, but then I started getting a lot of requests from businesses to do, Forecasts and come speak and things like that, and so then it started to turn into kind of like a a, a side business, and then um, in twenty twenty decided to go at it full time. So I've been at it full time since um, uh, sort of late late twenty twenty, and uh, my daughter joined up uh, the business with me, and have several you know uh, freelancers and consultants around the world that help out as well. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been a fun ride so far.
0: That's, uh, I mean, that, that's a great kind of recap and it, it's been awesome to kind of see your evolution career-wise very similar to mine, yeah. um, having uh, quite a bit in the software marketing side and now kind yeah. of hop back yeah. into our personal passions around EVs. Um, I I think, speaking of that, just like around the marketing and around the uh, perception of EVs, can, what are some of the maybe linger, uh, lingering misperceptions that you're kind of still seeing in the space, whether that be about EVs or more in particular, I think your background EV infrastructure.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously there are still like dozens of misperceptions around EVs and in, in EV charging, and um, you know, sort of in, in no particular order. I mean, I think one of them that's sort of you know EV specific but related to charging, obviously, is is you know how much range we you know, people actually need. Um, uh, you know, there's still this, percent, like almost every survey ever done over the last 15 years, you know, more than half of people say that they need, you know, at least 300 miles of range and some people 400, 500, etc. cetera. Um, and, you know, the the reality is most people, not everybody, but most people can get by with, you know, 200 to 250 mile range BEV and live a perfectly good normal driving life, right? Uh, um, and, you know, I kind of hate to use, you know, the the same numbers that everybody uses that, you know, most people only drive 30, 40 miles a, a day. Uh, and whether that's true or not, it is it is for a lot of people, but the reality is, you know, like where i live in the bay area you still want to be able to go up to like the wine country for the weekend and back and exactly. not have to charge and you know you want to have that sort of comfort that you can you know you you can drive an hour or two away go to the beach go to the mountains whatever it is and oh, do i have to charge right and so um that's why i've I've long been a fan of you know that that between 200 250 is actually a a pretty good range for for most people, um, our first EV was a Tesla Model S 60, which had 210 miles of range, and we drove it down, took my daughter, you know, down to college in Southern California and back and stuff several times. And while it wasn't perfect for road trips, um, you know, it it was fine, right? You just you stop and you know, get a nice guy's nice breakfast, lunch, or dinner, or whatever it is, and, and you make it work. Then when we upgraded to a Tesla with 335 miles of range, you know, it it it, it made that um, a bit easier, you, you know, stop one or two less times and stuff like that. But fundamentally, you know, I think the first thing is, is, is people just think, that that they need way much more range that, than they actually can get by, and maybe it takes a little bit of um, you know experience with with an EV to sort of get get comfortable with that. But I, I still think that's um, you know kind of the first biggest thing is is that people just assume they need too much um, range. I think the second thing specifically around charging is is that. Um, not unexpectedly, people um, compare the electric vehicle refueling experience to the refueling experience of their gas car, right? And so um, most non-EV people, you know, say, well, you know, it, it only takes me five, to seven minutes to refuel my gas car, right? Like, that that's what I expect from uh, an electric vehicle, and the hardliners, like, you know, I'm never gonna get an EV in, until you can, like, charge it in five minutes, so don't talk to me, right? Um, and so the, the misperception is is that, uh, and I refer to it, I have a slide I use a lot when I, when I present around this, is I call it decentralized versus centralized, right? And that the idea that, you know, when you refuel a gas car, it's, you know, it's it's a very conscious decision of you know i'm going to drive somewhere to a gas station whether it's on my way to work or on a road trip right um, and you, you go there and you specifically go to a gas station to to refuel and you're in and out quickly with evs it's it's much more akin to um, like the smartphone charging experience, which is wherever there's a plug, right? And when you sleep, right, you plug it in, you wake up in the morning and it's fully charged, that type of thing. And so it's, you know, it's educating people that it's, it's different, that the way you refuel an EV is, is not the same as how you refuel a gas car. And it's, um, you know, I refer to it as, as parking as charging right? Like literally cars spend, most cars will sit 22, 23 hours a day, right?
0: No, I, I completely agree with that. Right. And, and, I, uh, and
1: yeah. And and so ABC
0: that's, always be charging. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of overlaps charging. with the parking infrastructure for sure. Right.
1: And, and so, you know, I think that's sort of like the second big sort of misperception is just sort of comparing that and expecting that charging an EV should be, you know, as quick five, seven minutes or whatever it is, and it's like, no, that's that's not how we do. It. Now, yes, of course, when you go on road trips, you want it to charge quickly and stuff like that. But again, um, all except for you know that guy that that you know never stops when he goes on a road trip and carries a bottle that he pees in on on the road trip, right? And, um, uh, but most and I, of I, to us... be
0: honest, I think there's very few of those people, and I would say <laughs> I'm I'm not peeing in bottles, but I'm probably as close to that as you get. Oh, really? um, yeah. And uh, even then, I mean, I I did thirty-one thousand over thirty-one thousand miles in our EV uh, last year, and we both work remotely. And um, the most I've done is from Bend to Phoenix in one one day, which was all, pretty close to twelve hundred miles. Wow. And even then, it's doable. And I. I think technically, because uh, I done it uh, previously in a gas car a couple of years ago, it was like I think it, it turned out to be a much lower difference than I thought it would be. Um, it was it was under an hour difference. But the other thing I really noticed that's, was that's
1: pretty pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. I was
0: definitely doing the uh, someone else. I'm sure you've seen them both, Brandon Flash and then Cal Connor uh, on Twitter. And Cal, we had on the show before, but definitely that kind of style of charging where it's essentially you just crank it to 100 get as far as you can on that first charge and then um try and go about an hour and a half to two hours per charge but just get in yeah. a low percent and go use the bathroom get some snacks get some water and then get back on the road
1: get back on the road yeah
0: and that that's I think the easiest and to be honest have I done it quicker in a combustion engine yes. Um, I like to think I'm a safe driver in general, but I, I will say that is kind of one of the perks of just getting out of the car every couple hours, walking around, kind of thinking just kind of a mental reset. Yeah, um, yeah. It I, it, it... I totally get it for people who are kind of against it. I like combustion engine, I, but I, I definitely think EVs are the future. And it, it's crazy to me, and I, I know you've seen this too, just how much the, not just the charging infrastructure, but also the EV charging rates have improved. So it's it's yeah. not one-to-one, but it's going to continue to get better. And, um, any, I think the only time I can ever do those kinds of road trips is when it's just me. If I'm with my uh, fiance or we have the dogs, the car is always ready before, uh, the people traveling with me. Let's put it that way.
1: Right. Right. Um, Yeah. I mean, oh,
0: I'm just going to say that's, that's the exact importance of not only just infrastructure, but reliable infrastructure. Um, especially when you're going from, rural Oregon to, uh, through Nevada to Phoenix.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But again, you know, part of it is, is like you said, it's, um, you know, it's, it's not necessarily for everybody, but I actually enjoy road trips more now because I, I, I think about it as, you know, and my family thinks about it is, you know, like more qualitative than quantitative. It's like, it's, it's like, it's you know, we're not calculating, you know, how fast, how long it's going to take us to get there. We're thinking about, no, where do we want to eat? Do we, you know, do we want to have, you know, a nice breakfast? Do we want to stop at Chipotle? Do we want to stop at the Harris Steak Ranch and have a nice dinner? And uh, like, you know, it's, you think about it sort of more, more quality. We want to stop at the outlet mall and shop for a little bit. Right. And, um, and so it's, you know, that's sort of the you know the the challenge of right of, of that misperception is getting people to think that it's 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 a different way to travel right it's 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 um, oh totally you know it's it's quality over sort of quantity or speed um and then it's the, sort of the last couple of just to sort of finish this, yeah. this question off the last couple of things is really is one is um uh, you know, sort of battery life, right? There's a lot of misperceptions. I mean, I've even seen it lately that some, you know, very famous people and stuff around the world is, oh yeah, you know, you have to place your battery in five years and stuff like that, or seven years or whatever it is. And I mean, as you know, and most of your listeners probably know, I mean, we're headed towards you know, batteries that are going to last, you know, 15, 20 years eventually, or whatever, you know, million mile Tesla battery we are hear about. But, you know, fundamentally, there's a lot of misperception array, uh, a around sort of life of the batteries. And then the, the misperception of, you know, <clears throat> all these batteries are going to end up in landfill and stuff. And, right uh, and anybody that, you know, understands economics, I mean, it's one thing, you know, to take, take the smartphone, right. And, and throw it in a, in a landfill, but you know, a, a battery pack that costs $20,000 is not going to be thrown in the landfill. Right. Right. There's, you know, there's companies, as you know, like Redwood materials that are probably going to become when they go IPO in a few years, you know, one of the single most valuable companies on the planet because they're set up to basically extract all the minerals out of, out of the batteries and repurpose them into new batteries and exciting the whole second life battery thing. Right. So I think, you know, getting people to understand that, you know, these batteries are not going to wind up in landfills. Um, they're going to be repurposed. Um, and then the last one I'll throw out is just the, 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 you know, that all EVs are charging on coal. Right. And, um, that's true if you live in West Virginia, right? But there's only like 500 EVs in West Virginia, so it's like, uh, you know. So there certainly are some states, even Colorado, which is one of the highest adopting uh, uh, EV states in the U.S., is sort of a, a an outlier in that they still have about 25% of their grid is is coal. But but. Um, you know, there's actually a pretty good direct correlation between EV adoption and how green the grid is. Like where you live, you know, up in Oregon and particularly Washington, I mean, Washington is like 99% hydro or something like that, right? Yeah, we we
0: kind of have an unfair advantage when it comes to that. But even here in Central Oregon, the amount of uh, solar panels just, which I've never understood why they haven't done it sooner with how much uh, land there is in Eastern Oregon and uh, how much sun we get out here. But Yeah. I mean, you're, you're totally right. It's changing. It's changing at a pretty quick clip. Um, And I I think the call out about the batteries is totally uh, spot on because they, they get all the headlines of them going into landfills, but a pretty quick Google search. And you can kind of start seeing now there's value in second life. There's value in recycling them. And so many of these companies now realize this is where they're going and they're being much more proactive about the full life cycle. And the thing I always say is sure let's say it's the worst case. You buy this new car, you drive it a hundred miles, boom, it, you get an accident, you wreck it. For some reason, there's no second life option and it gets recycled. Right. You yeah. can't do that with a traditional combustion engine. The gas you spent, a lot of what you spent, the engine can be recycled, but not the actual energy and kind of, the. I mean, the materials yeah. kind of going into and the core part of it. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of just a life cycle appreciation that, um, I think you're right. Probably a lot of people listening to this already understand, yeah. but that I think is part of the job. Sometimes people listening to this or those that know kind of have to do the yeah. job of being yeah. the uh, advocate or the educator, but um, no, I, I really appreciate all those. Cause I think those are totally valid and ones we're still seeing. Um, and it's, it's always good to know someone who had the uh, Tesla 60 D uh, yeah. I, I am kind of curious. Did you ever uh, do the software unlock for it or was it a?
1: No, I thought about it. talked to my, so for those listening, what, what, what Chase is referring to is the, the Tesla model 60 actually had a 75 kilowatt hour battery pack in it that was software limited. Um, and At a couple of different times of our, so we leased it. We've leased, we're on our third Tesla. We have the Model Y now. We've leased all three of them just because of what we're talking about. They just get better and better and better. So why would I want to buy it, right? Um, But uh, yeah, I think it was like initially it was like $5,000 to upgrade to, to the 75D. And I think it added... 35 or 40 miles of range. I can't remember what it, what it was, but something like that. Um but then I think at one point they came back with like for only 2500. And yeah. then I was I was intrigued but talked to my wife and she's like nah and um you know we we actually it was it was fine. We didn't didn't need it. But I was I was tempted at the, at the 2500 but you know for taking two road trips a year was that worth 2500 right. versus you know, versus sitting there at, uh, you know, the Kettleman city, uh, supercharger and eating an in and out burger and waiting an extra 10 minutes like to charge. No, it wasn't, wasn't worth 2,500. Yeah. Yeah. But
0: yeah, I think that's pretty fair. And yeah, yeah. I, I myself have a, just a long range model y as well and it's uh it's such an easy road tripping car before that i had a couple uh model s uh that essentially i had access to as business cars and those were great a lot of fun but um just the new charge rate of these smaller cars and how efficient they are it makes it pretty hard to convince (laughs) yeah uh, it's worth the extra money and i I think that's obviously an area where they've done very well um now that we've kind of talked about some of the misperceptions though, I'd be curious as to kind of maybe a little bit more forward looking and what you see as some of the biggest changes and maybe challenges around, uh, getting this greater EV adoption and maybe the role, uh, P and other kind of, uh, technologies kind of play in this evolution.
1: Yeah. I mean, so, um, uh... You know, right now we're in this this interesting period of uh, if we're just looking at like the automakers, where last year uh, there was more demand than supply, right? And uh, and so uh, you know, if you wanted an EV, it was pretty tough. I mean, I, I'll tell you a quick anecdote. So last year I was out doing some research for a client, and I, I stopped in at a Ford dealer and uh, said, hey, I'd love to check out the Mustang Mach-E. You know, our lease was was coming up, and um, and he laughed at me. You know, it was, I think it was like the, the owner of the dealership, but he was closing up. I got there at like, you know, 5.55, and, uh, and he laughed at me. <laughs> he said, you know, I'll put you on a list, but, you know, I'm going to get one in two weeks, and, it's, and I have, you know, 20 people on the list kind of thing. And you roll forward to, you know, so then what happened? Everybody went and got a model Y, you know, because, you know, they were eating, <laughs> there were plenty of them, hundreds yeah. of thousands of them right now roll forward. And the automakers worked through the COVID and supply chain issues and their gear and they got their like battery cell production is starting to scale, except for, you know, GM is still struggling with, uh, uh with the Ultium scaling that and stuff. But, um, now we have an issue of of kind of oversupply, right? Uh, and there's been a lot of misperception in the media that, um, uh, you know, that, that demand has softened. And uh, no, the reality is, is we just have too many EVs being produced now versus not enough last year. So I think, you know, one of the sort of the issues and challenges is, um, you know, historically has been that production ramp, but now we're sort of, uh, level setting. And, uh, you know, affordability has been, um, you know, it used to be range was, um, you know, sort of one of the, the big challenges and, and hurdles to, to EV adoption. Um, and, you know, I think now affordability is, is, you know, as we start to move into more, more mainstream uh, adoption, um, you know, that, that is sort of the, you um, Uh, one of the biggest challenges along with charging, which, you know, which I know we're going to, we're going to dive into more deeply, but um, you know, related to that um, the big challenges is we've got to get a supply of used EVs out on on the market. And uh, that's just going to take time. Like there's not really much we can do to speed that up. But um, as I'm sure, you know, that, that, you know, in the U S about two thirds of vehicles purchased every year are used right. Versus, versus, versus new. And so people, everybody focuses on, you know, that 16 million, 17 million, 15 million new vehicles purchased uh, you know, every year it obviously varies a few million depending on the economy and stuff like that. But, you know, there's like 45 million used vehicles that purchased and that's how, you know the middle and lower classes actually buy vehicles is you know as is, is they buy with cash or whatever it is you know a lot of used vehicles and uh that's really what we have to sort of focus on right is is um is, is sort of a next step is um you know is how do we get you how do we get used vehicles in into the hands of um, sort of moderate income people and i think that's you know again like i said that's gonna take uh time but um you know we need sort of more incentives and and different things to sort of help with that um but um you know some of the the other things that i think are are really exciting is just the changes with battery chemistries and and battery innovations i mean for years we've been sort of mostly focused on NMC, so nickel, manganese, cobalt, you know, lithium batteries, but then, you know, the last couple of years, we've started to see the, um, you know, with the sort of the Chinese with the LFP, the iron-based batteries, and now you can buy like a Ford F-150, two different battery packs. The lower range has the LFP batteries, the longer range, more expensive, has the NMC, and, you know, two years ago, that sort of didn't exist. And now the market and all the automakers have sort of bifurcated and have literally kind of, it's almost like they went in a room and all agreed, right, that, that you know, we're gonna use LFP for sort of our lower range, more affordable models and NMC for the longer range sort of luxury uh, batteries. I mean, you know, Tesla has, has, has gone that route, right? And so, you know, that helps with the affordability, right? A little bit less range and stuff, but but lower that cost. Uh, you know, iron is is still actually mostly from China and stuff like that. There's still some supply chain issues and stuff. But then, you know, going forward, um, we're looking at sodium ion and solid state batteries. And, you know, again, a couple of years ago, nobody was talking about sodium uh, 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 batteries, right? And so... That is um, uh, BYD and, uh, and CATL are, are actually supposed to have uh, sodium batteries in EVs this year. And uh, sodium is basically salt. It's sort of like everywhere. Right. right? So um, that's going to be a game changer. And then um, Toyota still says they're on track for solid state batteries in you know, the next that for three the last five decade, years, though. yeah, they've said that for the last <laughs> decade. But you know, there's there's totally. startups, there's like some totally. startups like uh, Solid Power, um, and several others that you know can you, that are working on that. But so I think that's sort of the kind of the the next phase. Really, is um, is that sort of you know battery chemistry innovation, and there's a lot of other innovations that are coming down the path that are going to um, you know add at range, but, and, and life expectancy, but more importantly than lowering the cost. And I think that's sort of the next, uh, the next big hurdle because, you know, it's now it's pretty easy to find an EV with 300 miles of range or 275 or whatever's that meet, meet most people's needs. It's like, okay, but now how do we find them that are affordable is, is right. really that sort of next challenge.
0: Yeah, I think those are all great points. And um, while there's definitely been an oversupply of EVs, I, I think the bigger issue isn't so much interest. It is like you're saying affordability and especially around interest rates. Um, the interest yeah. rates, I think, are just killing sales in general, whether it's ICE or uh, an EV. And I, I thought when I got the, uh, I think my rate was 3.75. And I was like, damn, why is this so high? And that was only maybe early, mid 2022, uh, when I thought that was a high rate. And now it's like hard to find anything under 8%. And I mean, it's just getting wild. And I think that is really, I mean, one, the cost of new cars have just skyrocketed in the last decade anyway. And so has that kind of negatively impacted the used car market, but that plus, even with some of the prices coming down, that plus the interest rates, I think is honestly the biggest issue for adoption right now versus even and
1: has nothing to do with powertrain i know exactly cost of cost of money yeah
0: and um i I think what you call out around the different chemistry of the batteries is pretty spot on too because i think um tesla's kind of evolved like you said you had a tesla model s60 well now they don't even do the battery pack size they'll do kind of long range and i think that's i think that's something a lot more automakers need to kind of figure out because for years they've marketed uh this is the four cylinder this is the eco this is the v8 and it's really not much different on the chemistry of the batteries if you're getting a v8 you're expecting performance and not as good of range or gas mileage right, right. um and i i think that's something that um it's coming around and we're starting to see it more but you're totally right i think the advances in sodium ion and the other chemistries are really going to bring down the affordability and also the um Overall, the just lifespan of the vehicles. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. NMC isn't bad by any means, but when you start comparing it to LFP and sodium, it just looks like it's. <laughs> I mean, it, it's well to say that a battery is higher, uh, kind of essentially yeah. more finicky, <laughs> but yeah. um, it NMC is compared to these. I mean, and it's already such a rock solid um, lifespan we're seeing with some of these older NMC batteries, anyways. But I I think uh, just to recap, those are all great points around that. But let's, I think, really get into the bread and butter of this conversation. Obviously, your area expertise, then I think what a lot of people are most interested in if they haven't been already daily driving an EV, and it's the horror stories they're hearing around the charging infrastructure. So can you kind of just give us a quick overview of the current state of uh, charging domestically and then kind of break down how uh, NEVI and some of these other programs are playing into that?
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously um, you know, we, we sort of touched on the sort of the the charging misperceptions and things like that early on. And, and, you know, we all uh, you know, hear that most people charge, you know, at home, you know, 80, you know, I like to say it's actually higher 95% of the time, right. Like, you know, we um, rarely charge out, out on the road, except when we, we go on, on road trips, but um, you know, the, the, Charging experience. I mean, the top story in the EV industry the last year has really been the unreliability of, of fast charging, and uh, we'll just we'll just we'll call them out. You know, Electrify America is sort of the um, uh, the, the poster child uh, uh, of 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 that. Um, but um, you know, the, the the challenge that we've had is is that um, I call it the uh uh you know the the 1849ers you know it's like we, we've got the gold rush again There, are i mean every day i hear of two or three new companies that i've never heard of before that are entering the right. charging space i mean like literally um uh and so they're literally they're, there's not just hundreds there are thousands of companies entering some element of the charging space and so you know, a lot of the companies, whether it's, you know, it's ChargePoint, Blink, Electrify America, EVgo, like go down the list. It's like, it's a race, you know, it's a race in essence to like the, the 49er gold, to find the gold before other people, right? It's to find yeah. the best locations, the highest utilization, um, you know, the, 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 the uh, you know, the best, uh, you know, next to the best restaurants and and all those types of things. And so... You know, for years, it's been just how do we get the chargers in the ground, get the grants, get the, get the whether yeah. it's federal, whether it's state, whether it's utility, whether it's, you know, air resource board, how do we get the grants, convince the site host to let us put these chargers in their parking lot um, and, and get them in the ground because the business model is that eventually in 4 or 5 years when when ev sales are up and there's a lot of evs on the road that utilization will get up there then we can break even and then after that we can actually make money so it's like it's it's you know the business model has been sort of bizarre that it's not about like how do we deploy these to make money it's like how do we deploy these with the hopes that in five years we'll, we'll actually make money. So it's sort of setting yourself up, and so it's very capital intensive. Um, you know, a lot of these companies we've talked about were public. Um, some of them uh, are running out of cash. Uh, there's been some articles. Well, the about consoli- that.
0: It's funny you mention how many new names are coming in, but the amount of yep. consolidation and the amount of times I hear a name, I'm like I haven't heard that name in almost a decade. I didn't even know they were still around. And then the confusion around some of this consolidation, because I remember I was doing a road trip. uh, Maybe I was coming back from Phoenix or going to when this happened, but someone had acquired SEMA Connect or someone had acquired Blink. I forget which way it went.
1: Blink acquired SEMA Connect. Yeah,
0: that's what it was. And so I uh, fortunately I didn't need to use it, but I just happened to be at a place where there was like a level two charger. I tried plugging in and it was down. And right. I was like, "Oh, that's right. not surprising." But it turned out the only reason it was down was because they were doing some sort of system-wide software Upgrade. updates. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it was just yeah. like such a horrible and unfortunately horrible user experience.
1: Yeah, and, um, that's, and that that's so common, right? There, I mean, right. there, are, there are a dozen reasons why. Uh, you know, sort of getting back to it, why the the charging experience outside of Tesla ha- has been the headline and and um i've probably done 20 interviews over the last couple of months around like the 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 charging experience and stuff um but you know it's it's um like i said it's the you know hardware like there's there's been so much demand to get these deployed so quickly that the hard maker hardware makers were just pumping these things out uh as fast as they can and maybe the electronics and different things weren't as as good as they should be a lot of them are just simple things like they're not designed for inclement weather right and so right. um they get problems with that um bugs get inside like literally uh, you see these on social media all the time like where there'll be like a hornet's nest or something inside and it causes like the fan not to work or just like something um but you know some of the biggest issues are just like software issues, as, as you mentioned, right, is, is I mean, think about the challenge and this is one of the advantages um, of Tesla. I mean, I think in general, Tesla's uh, single biggest advantage has been software, not just for charging, but for, for their vehicles. And we're seeing that playing out with uh, other, you know, automakers that they're struggling with software. But I think, you know, the Tesla ecosystem everybody always compares it to apple and it's, it's sort of true because it's this closed system where tesla makes their own hardware um you know they um uh, it's it's their charging connector it's their chargers uh, it's their software like it's their app their payment system it's just you know and i'm on my third tesla and it's like i've been spoiled right you just pull in plug in and walk away and um you know think about if you're one of those other hardware makers that whose names we may ha- may or may not have mentioned it's like you've got to design your your hardware and software to work for you know 50 plus BEVs now right and yeah. and and those vehicles are had doing software updates uh, all the time which means when you tested it for your you know charging software to work it was on a previous version of the software so there's just a, a lot of different different challenges um, and payment issues and cell phone issues. Like a very common issue is is that you know cell cell service goes down, right? right? And so you can't authenticate the payment. So there's literally there's like you know a, like a dozen failure points of of what what causes uh, potentially a bad charging experience. Not even including you know, the fact that the parking space might be, be iced, right. You know, somebody might be parking there, um, uh, you know, or just, um, yeah, or, you know, hours, you know, the gates are locked, it's dark and you don't feel safe. So you don't want to charge there. I mean, there are just so many bad experiences. And so that's kind of the next evolution is as we get, um, a lot of these hardware and software and mechanical, uh, Issues and plug and charge, you know, sort of rolled out and those kinds of things fixed. Then the next thing is sort of the broader customer experience of, you know, having bathrooms and a squeegee to right. wash your, your window, having, uh, you know, an awning being over covered, to be yeah, covered, exactly. um, you know, quality food, uh, air for your tires, like just stuff that you expect. Uh, again, I talked about not comparing to a gas station, but people expect the, those types yeah, of things. Have a base
0: level experience, right? Yeah, right. yeah.
1: And I think that's where um, you know we're we're going to get into sort of the NEVI program, but um, the National Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Program, which um, is in total at seven point five billion. But the core that most people think about is the five billion that's going to build out uh, first the highway corridors. But one of my favorite things about the Navy program. And there are a lot of things that you can, we can quibble about of, of what's good and bad about it. But I think what's at minimum, what's best about Navy program is that sets some baseline standards, right? For 150 KW chargers uh, that have to be up 97% of the time. And, you know, if, if you know, anybody has done the math which i've done hundreds of times 97 percent means charger is down 11 days a year right so it's not a yeah. high bar right i always like to say what if uh if amazon web services you know aws uh was down 11 days a year for like an e-commerce site no we wouldn't accept that right or salesforce right you know you and i both come out of the the SaaS industry and stuff. And it's like, you know, it's it's like 99.99%, right?
0: Um, it, and- I, I am kind of curious, it, I'm sorry to just jump in. Yeah. Do you have the knowledge of what the, or like a really rough estimate of what the average downtime Uptime. for a gas pump, uh, gas pump would oh, be? Oh,
1: gas pump, um, you know- Cause often, it does happen. Would, I'll
0: see, a, uh, it, I'll get to a gas station and there'll be one down, but the rest work yeah. fine, obviously. I,
1: I, I've seen, I don't remember off the top of my head, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely north of, of, of 99%. um, And, you know, and the sort of the, the difference is you said, yeah, I mean, we, we all have pulled into gas stations and seen the yellow tape over or or, or whatever it is. Um, But the, you know, the, the, the difference there is even if a gas pump is down, there's usually seven other or. You know, or 11 other, or 15 other gas pumps that are working totally. But, but the other part of it is, and is the throughput is the throughput is people that yeah. are there five to seven minutes. So even if even if they're all, you know, if, if it's like a gas war time, you know, where people are everybody's showing up at the guy. Even if it's one of those things where people, you know, they're they're churning, you know, every five to se- seven minutes. Whereas at a fast charger, if there's you know four. 150 kW's, and um, one one is down, and three are being used. You know, you might have to wait 30 to 45 minutes for the next one to. I've been to, to public up.
0: chargers where I'd be happy if only one is down. <laughs> uh, right,
1: right, yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: No, but I I think that's totally fair, and um, not not to go on too much of a tangent. That is one of the things I'm really curious about, and I don't know if you've heard this. I don't think it has been announced. But um, the theme we've been kind of talking about the last 20 minutes is around this, like the hardware is the base level. That's like the foundation. And then the actual thing that creates a customer and just like a safety of a safe of mind, kind of the experience for the end user is that software level. And I think um, what it's really easy to be new to EVs. And just as long as you know, the base hardware knowledge, like the plug types, which you kind of have to know, you can kind of figure it out from there. But what Tesla's done that makes it really easy is that software level around, not only knowing where they are, but it'll plan it for you. Now, admittedly, right. I don't really think it's optimized the best, but it at least figures it out for you. Yeah. And yep. you can then see not only the site, but how many are available. Okay. And of all the trips I've done, there's been one time when it was wrong, but it'll even say, okay, what, um, which charger is down and which ones to avoid and stuff. And just... I am really curious if that level of knowledge and software is going to be available and part of these deals that tesla's making with for with gm and all these others because i think um, if it's not available day one it's something that needs to be made available to drivers sooner than later because it will kind of help avoid congestion avoid a lot of these other issues and kind of makes the understanding of owning and driving an ev it kind of it makes it it makes the ramp up from going an novice to knowing the hardware part of like of how to plug in to then how to like actually think about going on a road trip and feels yeah. good about it um yeah
1: i mean i think the 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 in car navigation integration with with all of that that charging data and stuff is 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 key um but you know i was as you know as i mentioned i was just up uh in a very rural uh area in California, wine country. Um, But, you know, I planned and researched, you know, where I could charge using, you know, using apps, everything from, you know, Chargeway to the the Tesla app and and PlugShare and everything. I actually used sort of, you know, while I was, you know, sitting there before we'd go out, I sort of would research things that way. But then out on the road, when when we were coming back uh, and we had to stop off in a little town called Ukiah, um, you know, I, there was actually two Tesla superchargers. Uh, and I went to the one that was uh, farther away, that we had to go farther out of our way because it was next to an in-and-out burger and it had more more stalls, right? But I could look and see how many were available and that type of thing and stuff. And so I think, um, you know, we, we don't yet have any transparency and, into these deals Tesla's doing with the now 14 automakers, um, uh, including themselves, um, uh, if, if you include in that because uh, uh, yesterday of when this is being recorded, Jaguar announced that 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 they're they're Correct. on board uh, NACS. But I think um, you know Tesla is very app-driven, and so at minimum, I think part of the deals will probably include. Um, some sort of an integration with, um, you know, like the Ford pass app or whatever, whatever it is. And again, we, we don't really know. And my sense in what I've heard from people inside some of the automaker companies is they have no idea. Like these deals have been done, you know, between like CEOs and stuff. Uh, and, And I've heard that literally engineers in the EV charging teams at some of these big automakers were like, they heard about it when it was Whenever announced press. Yeah. And like, so um, yeah, so it, it r- remains to be seen. Like we haven't even heard, uh, I only heard for the first time yesterday about like how they're going to handle the adapters, right? right. So um, apparently Ford is going to supply, uh, I think that's what I heard that Ford is going to supply the the NAX adapters to existing owners, but but we haven't, you know, we haven't even really heard how that's that's going to be handled. But but to answer your question, I my guess is is that um, at minimum we'll see some some you know software level integration probably with with the different apps. I mean, with APIs you can do sort of right. pretty much anywhere. Will it be as good as and seamless as the Tesla experience? Probably not. But but if it can get eighty percent there, you know, like you said, it'll be a huge can,
0: improvement. Yeah, if
1: you can see the availability. Uh, uh, and you know, uh, yeah, uh, you know, the level of of charger and, and how many stalls are available, wait time. I mean, they started to do that, like wait time, busiest times, that kind of stuff. I mean, information is power, right? So the more of that information that is shared with, with the other automakers, um, will, will help with that, that better experience.
0: Totally. I mean, even now with these public chargers, even between DC fast charging and AC public chargers. Um, The app level knowledge and to the level at which it's usually inaccurate still kind of astounds me. Um, I realize there's a lot of variables, but so many, and it kind of goes back to what you're saying about uh, having a pay by card, all these sorts of like things that are technologies that have actually been done in other industries and other hardware that is outdoors all the time for decades. Yeah. And it's just still kind of surprising to see where this delay and just unfortunate, um, problems that we kind of keep continuing to see are.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, guess. I just, I, I, I was just going to have yeah. a quick anecdote and sort of the customer experience. So, um, uh, a couple months ago, we went with some friends down to a different wine country area, down to Paso Robles, where we'd also never been, and uh, a friend has a, a Nissan Araya, and so he drove. We went with them, and um, I actually chose where we should stop, right? And so um, uh, I, I won't mention their name, because they're, they're, they've are they been a client of mine, and I'm good friends with the CEO, but a, but a regional charging network, we stopped off. Um, and, you know, the, the user experience was just kind of confusing because it it literally had three ways you could pay, right? Like, you know, download the app, scan the QR code, do this, do that. But it was like written in like, you know, a 10 point font on the hardware. Uh, and I have this picture of my friend, like literally like trying to hold his iPhone to scan the QR code at the right angle because of the sun to like do it. And it was just like. Am I supposed to do all three? Like, it wasn't it wasn't clear. Like, you know, it was like, do I have to do all three steps or can I just do one of them? Like, it was just sort of confusing and stuff. And mm-hmm. then it didn't authenticate at the first time around, so we <laughs> unplugged, replugged in, and then it worked fine and stuff. But it's like, you know, there's just, like, this industry, it just amazes me of nobody understands user interfaces and usability. It's just... It's just like horrendous, um, and so again, that's you know Tesla figured that out ten years ago, and and uh, everybody's you know throwing in the towel instead of like fixing it. They're, they're I just... don't know if this is
0: going to show up on the camera yeah. or not, but uh, um, maybe
1: pull back a little bit. But there, uh, we there go. you go. Yeah,
0: this was the charging <laughs> for a six kilowatt uh,
1: level two charger.
0: Yeah. yeah, and ring goes up. And yeah. I had the patience to actually try and figure it out. And it still took about 10 to 15 minutes. Yeah. And fortunately, I didn't even really need a charge. I went back later because um, we were staying in a nearby hotel. And so that second, I was like, okay, I kind of do it. I had it all set up. And so I go to get the app and I plug it in. I was like, oh, damn, I forgot. On the instructions, like step three or four is you have to do all this before you plug it in. It started charging.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: And I realized this is only there... So they can get a really backwards and really horrible way to chart or like pay for the charging, which right. was overpriced as it was for only six kilowatts. Um, and I realized like, okay, I, I just don't have the patience for this. I'm just going to plug in and it's their loss. Uh, I have no yeah. problem paying for charging, but if you as a business have to make it such a workaround.
1: So complex. Yeah,
0: exactly. But um, yeah, <laughs> I think both of us could probably have our own podcast just going back and forth with anecdotes of charging fails, but, um, let's, let's try and refocus back on the Nevi funding and speaking of that and kind of just, yeah, yeah. The, the rollout. And, um, I think there's a few different topics I want to talk to you, but one question I have for you is given how long it's taken for the rollout, has this only actually benefited
1: Tesla more? Wow. Interesting question. Um, yeah i i mean probably so at, at some level because one of the things and, and and you're probably aware of this i mean i publish a lot of statistics and one that was sort of really um blew people's minds is is tesla is just at another level uh they're in another universe when it comes to deploying fast chargers so they're they're averaging uh you know, I mean, it varies on the month, but, but, you know, typically 350 to 400 DC fast chargers being deployed per month, um, in in the U S uh, which is more than all other charging networks combined. Right. And so they're, they're, they're they're like lapping the field. Um, and they're doing it at potentially a quarter of the cost of everybody. else, and that's, this has been one of the sort of the most um, exciting. You know, so I'm like a kid in a in a candy shop with this NEVI data. I'm starting to to um, collect a lot of the data from the first five states that have announced the awards, uh, and have been filing Freedom of Information Act requests to get the like the real detail. And so, um, yeah, Tesla's cost structure. Is is insane. Um, uh, there there's some cases their their cost per port is like a tenth of 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 competitors, right? There are some sites where they're at about two hundred and fifty thousand for eight, two fifty kW chargers. Where in the same state, uh another company is at over a million for four 150 kw's, right? Yeah. It's like um it's no, it's, I and
0: I it, I think there's two parts to that. One, you're totally right. Like the operational level and the product to do, uh productization of this is just they need I almost want them to have a competitor, <laughs> um, a true competitor to make them push them even farther. But if uh the way that they just have it all pre-built, I guess in New York, and then just essentially drop ship them, plug them in. Um, I truly wonder how fast they could actually do it if the utilities and the actual permits utilities
1: actually could would would connect with the could the almost even to get to yeah.
0: yeah, could get to a closer scale of speed that they are. Yeah. Um, but I, I think my original question really has to do with um I, I think everything you said is spot on, but yeah. especially around the adoption of the uh, North American charging standard, the next adapter versus CCS. Because when Nevi was uh, really announced and kind of started moving forward, that wasn't even a thing. It was essentially CCS or nothing. And now it's been a complete 180. And I I think that's where it really has been a bigger because it's taken so long. And in the meantime, obviously the, the real world and infrastructure side of it has taken off but it's also the deals and the automakers that are saying that they're going to use that charging standard. That's really benefited Tesla.
1: Yeah. But the, the, um, you know, the Nevi requirements don't reflect what, what's been going on and they haven't changed and Fair. there are no plans to, to change the Nevi requirements, which, which, you know, for your, your listeners, if they're not aware, Nevi requires, um, you know, four 150 KW chargers um, with CCS connector and anything else is optional, right? So um, now there are a couple of states um, that are saying, okay, um, you have to either have uh, the NAX connector in addition Uh, or have a path to upgrade one of the states in their, in their RFPs um, doing this from memory. I I think it might've been Kentucky um, has basically, and they sort of have soft peddled it, but they're saying um, uh, you, you at least have to prove to us that you have a path, like the hardware that you're specifying has a path to upgrade. Um, And so they're sort of saying we were acquiring it, but not immediately, like you can wait until, the, like the UL listing is actually approved for the yeah, hardware yeah. with the NAX connector and those types of things, and and so there's a path to that, but but only a couple of states have, sort of come out and said that 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 some level they're requiring it. So, um, you know, it's it's going to be interesting, but but um, uh, you know. M- down the road, as as the site um, uh, as the bidders win these, and more and more hardware becomes available with with the next, con- maybe that's just sort of going to be sort of the future where they they specify two cables with with the CCS and and uh, a next connector, and that becomes the standard. I think that's probably we're going to see a period for several years where where we see that and adapter hell, uh, kind of like for, we have with where- Chathamo. Yeah. No. And I I think
0: that's, that's actually a great call out by your point that it's actually Nevi on the federal side has, hasn't changed, but it's what we're kind of now seeing from the states um, specifying the NAX interest. Uh, Yeah.
1: Yeah. But But again, only 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 a few few so far. And most of them are like, uh, like I I spoke with California uh, folks and they're like, you know, no, we're, you know, we're going, we're just staying with the, the, now, a year from now, we may change, but right now we have no plans to change. And so I think most states, um, you know, are are playing it pretty conservative. There's just a few that are, you know, sort of being a bit more aggressive and entrepreneurial, I I'll, yeah. guess I'll say.
0: Now, how many states have actually awarded NEVI funding?
1: So five states uh, as of uh, of the recording of this podcast. So Hawaii and Ohio were first, uh, and then um, uh, uh, Maine, Pennsylvania. Um, Who've I missed? Oh, Colorado. Yeah, um, and th- those are those are the five states that have announced. Hawaii was a bit weird; they actually. Uh, years ago pre nevi they selected a company to basically manage their like charging deployment and that company got the contract and then picked like the deployment vendors and the hardware and the software companies and stuff and so there was less transparency around that but um uh yeah and so you know there's uh right now there's uh nine states um uh, i believe from memory that uh their rfps are open uh, uh with a couple closing pre- pretty quickly but um you know so we're we're starting to enter into like the the serious phase yeah. of, of nevi where um you know there's, there's a fair number of states w- with their rfps open and stuff but the reality is um, probably half of the states aren't even going to open their RFPs till 2024, right? So you have this real chasm. You have a state like Ohio who was early in first. They were so early, they actually had to go back to, I have a client that, that submitted 20 applications to the state of Ohio. And then Ohio came back after the NEVI rules changed and made them refile their applications, right? It was like pretty pretty insane and crazy, but Ohio is actually about ready to open up their phase two. So, you know, Ohio will, will award their second round of, of, That's wild. of Nevy awards before probably 50% of the states even open their first round, right? So you have this sort of wide, yeah. wide chasm. Some states have even come out like Missouri and said, uh, you know, we're just going to wait. And learn best practices and see what mistakes other states make and sort of learn learn from that uh south carolina is a is a simple example of of uh how this is playing out uh hasn't even hired the consultant who oh, is going to actually run their program yet right um they just closed the applications for the consultant to run their their NEVI process right so um we're the net of all of that is if you look at sort of a bell curve of 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 deployment and when when uh the Nevi funded chargers are, are gonna be deployed. It's really the bell curve, the top of the bell curve is probably in 2025 is when we're gonna see um, a majority of the Nevi funded chargers actually open and deployed. Um you know, and 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 Chase, some of what's behind this is um, it's really complex, uh, and True. and the process. Uh, I'll give you sort of two more anecdotes, right? Like Minnesota actually had to pass a law. They literally, their state senate or whatever had to, you know, assembly had to had to write a new law so that they could actually use the procurement process for the net, like they had never funded infrastructure the way NEVI is structured. California, there are two government agencies, the CEC, California Energy Commission, and Caltrans, the California Transportation Department, um, who sort of co own NEVI, but they actually had to, it happened in August, they actually had to have uh, a board approve that cec of the two would actually own and and run it like they had this like identify and so there's a lot of things like yeah. that with the states like they just don't know how to do this and um and so it's it's yeah it's it's gonna it's gonna take a while um but the other thing i i would sort of uh add to this which most people don't know is um you know this five billion in in NEVI funding. Everybody talks about it from the highway corridor perspective. And if and if people don't know, part of um, uh, this is what's called alternative fuel corridors, AFCs. Um, it's designed that that there's these four one fifty kW's at minimum every fifty miles on on sort of those highways that go from you know Oregon to you yeah. know wherever, um, uh, and one mile from from the the highway but there's only a, each state there's only a certain number of those and so once they spend the money and comply with that 50 mile 1 mile requirement they can spend the money however they want basically right um
0: which and, i yeah, i think that's a great that's something i was aware of but that's a great call out i don't think most people, most people are aware yeah. of that that's yeah. a good point
1: and, and so I've, I've done the math based on some uh, joint office of, of energy and transportation that they released that uh, it is my prediction that most states will have uh, a, a minimum of 50% uh, and some as much as 75% of their NEVI funds left over after complying with the highway corridors to spend on um, sort of more local community charging, much of which is going to be level two. So, you know, this is, this is, um, you know, people in inside know this, but, but most people aren't aware of this, that actually, you know, probably more than half of the NEVI funds will go to like local level two charging and stuff like that, not just those highway corridors. And that's actually a really good thing. Uh, I know, I and, agree. That's great.
0: Yeah. Um, there, there's two things I, uh, all of that is great. And this is really fun conversation. I think one thing is, um, I guess I was kind of referring to the next charging standard in Tesla. And just to clarify, I mean, obviously a lot of these uh, providers working for the Nevi funds are uh, kind of indifferent, but I, I think, is it a state or is it a federal thing that requires that no one um, company can have more than 25%? So even with what we were talking about with Tesla, even though they're doing well, obviously they're only going to still be kind of only so much they can get from these awards. But is that only state?
1: Yeah, so it's it's um, it's state by state. So not every state has that. Um, yeah. uh, and for the listeners, what Chase is referring to is, uh, is a few of the states have basically said um, uh, that no single bidder can win more than 25% of of, of the site bids or, or or funds and stuff. And in uh, Pennsylvania, uh, Tesla won 21% of, of the bids, right? But interestingly enough, just yesterday, um, it all changed. Um, oh. Four 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 sites um, have been recanted. So Tesla pulled out of two, and Blink and ChargePoint each each pulled out for a variety of reasons. Um, oh, interesting. and then seven new sites have been awarded. So, um, yeah, because all of these Nevi awards, when they announce the winners, they're called conditional winners, um, right. and that they have to go through various sort of processes and stuff like that. Um, and then companies like we just saw can actually pull out, um, for, for a variety of reasons and stuff. So it's, uh, it's,
0: and then, uh, yeah, no, no, I, I appreciate that. That's, that's uh, a good clarification for the the second question I have just in relation to all of that is there in your opinion and in the conversations you have, whether direct or candid, uh, going back to what we said about Tesla, just lapping everyone. Do you think yeah. a lot of these companies that are doing public charging are kind of holding back, um, to scale until they get more NEVI funding, or do you think it's a mixture of things?
1: It's definitely a mixture, but, but I have heard, um, I was, I was at an event, uh, a couple of months ago and, and speaking with an executive of one of the largest, like engineering companies that has, uh, many of the largest charging networks, yeah. uh, uh, CPOs as customers. And he's just like, oh my God, our work has come to a stop. Because they're all waiting on the Nevi funds, Interesting. right? So there's been this sort of, you know, one of the downsides of Nevi is, is and I've heard this from 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 a couple of people, right? That that, um, you know, I mean, let's let's just be candid here. Like a company like EVGO is fundamentally built on grants and incentives. Like that's yeah. their business, right? Is you know we go where the money that's why they don't have charging stations out in the middle of the highway in North Dakota and Wyoming because right. there's like there's no utilization and there's no funding for it right so they follow the money um and yeah and so some of these companies they've like been drooling at the at the nevi funding and they they're they're actually holding off so in some ways you know, again, back to your, your, your earlier question, you know, Tesla doesn't care. Tesla doesn't need yeah. the NEVI funding. Like, they, they, It's actually more pain than it's worth for them because they have to have all these additional requirements. And, you know, we all know Elon Musk and stuff and it's just, this is go right. And we're going to do it our way. So, you know, in some cases, um, yeah, NEVI is, 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 has slowed some things down in, in some cases, at least that that's what I'm hearing um, because most of these companies they, they have plans, you know, to, to deploy anyway. Um, but you know, the, the attraction of additional funds, but then there are other companies. So one of my clients is building out a, a a fast, a fast charging network, uh, and they have a contract with, with their client who, which is a major automaker, um, that they have to build and deploy certain number by like the end of 2023, et cetera. Right. And so for many of the companies, they have their targets and goals on, in some cases, contracts. And so it's with or without Nevi, right? Like if we can get the Nevi funding, great, but if we don't, we still, you know, we're still going to get these things in the ground because like, that's our business or, or whatever. So, yeah. So Nevi is, is, you know, in some cases it's, it's slowing some people down and, and in other cases, you know, it's uh, yeah, it's just like, whatever, it's a nice to have.
0: Yeah. I, I won't mention names, but it is funny you say that because I, I've talked to other people about this um, around some of the early agreements made by OEMs, automaker OEMs, and then yeah. these charging networks about, okay, we're going to EVs. X charging public, uh, charging company is going to help us get to this number of chargers. And you just look at the role and they they had strong starts and now it just seems like all of those have kind of fallen off a cliff. Um, but let's pivot, Yeah. <laughs> let's go, yeah. let's go over to level two charging. Um, yeah. because I think if you don't drive an EV, you're thinking about DC fast charging, public infrastructure, which totally valid, but you really only need that if you're doing a road trip. Um and, and now obviously you start kind of getting into like, well, if you live in an apartment, all this stuff, but yeah. level two charging is kind of the solution to also that if you don't have your own home or easy place to charge overnight. And then honestly, there's been so many times that if I had been at a place where we stopped and it just had had a level two charger anyway, we could have skipped the next fast charger we used, or um it would have been if it had just been slightly faster, but it'd been more than right. six kilowatts. Um, it would have been a night and day difference. And I, I would love to hear kind of your thoughts on where this is um, and your own experiences with it. And then, of yeah. course, how this kind of applies to Nevi and the future of it.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, uh, you know, right now there are, um, there's uh, we're approaching, we're not quite there yet, but we're approaching 150,000 public level two and DC fast chargers in the US with, 30, I think we're at about thirty-two thousand. Um, I may be off on that from from memory, but um, you know, fast chargers and stuff. So, right, so the point is, is that you know, the the bulk of, of public charging in the U.S. is 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 now and always will be level two, right? Like, if if you roll out to twenty thirty, I have this chart that uh, where I, I pulled uh, forecasts from like four four like major you know, McKinsey and some uh, different, different global analyst firms and stuff like that. And they're anywhere from 1.2 million to 2.3 million chargers that we need in in 2030 to support the number of EVs that are going to be on the road. But, you know, like, you know, 80% of that is the level two, right? Because it's, it's, it's at, at, you know, uh, at the restaurants, at the hotels, at the wineries, at the, at the beach, you know, those different types of things. And so, you know, the reality like you, it's like, this is something that we could we could actually spend a whole hour on is, is the beauty of Tesla's combination of the supercharger network and the destination charger network. Cause it's exactly as you said, like when we've gone from the Bay area where we live down to Southern California, you know, a couple of years ago, we stayed at the hotel in, resort in Palm Springs and they had Tesla wall connectors there. And I knew that. And so literally, you know, we could, we knew we could stop one less time at the supercharger because we knew when we arrived, we could just plug in and wake up in the morning with with a full charge, which is exactly what we did. And so the, 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 the beauty and the sort of what isn't talked a lot about is just how, DC and level two and destination charging go hand in hand, and and the importance of it and it's like the hotel chains are really waking waking up to this. We you know just just recently it was the big deal that Hilton announced they're buying twenty thousand yeah. wall connectors from Tesla. Um, I I did a project for uh, I won't name them obviously, but one of the other largest hotel chain just had a and,
0: recent large announcement themselves
1: um they 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 did um, uh, but you know all the, all the hotel chains have figured out that um, that you know people with EVs actually choose where to stay whether you know depending right. on whether there's charging there but not just that but it's fact that that hotels, are like the ideal use case for like for level sure. two charging, right? Which is you pull in after driving, you know, from Oregon wherever it is, um, and you plug in and you wake up in the morning and it's and your your EV is fully charged, right? It's that perfect, you know, charging is parking or parking is charging, however you want to think about it. Um, and uh, so yeah, so level level two is key, but it's also not just hotels, right? It's um, you know, like I said, a wine tasting, it's like you plug in wineries, you're, you're restaurants, the- breweries, Yeah, yeah I mean, can, you know, you're not, if anyone is to-
0: listening to this and they're looking for suggestions, please reach out to one of us. Cause I'm sure we <laughs> both could just name off a few. I mean, there've yeah. been so many road trips I've done purely off level two, and it wasn't in a way that was, um, uh, inconvenience. Yeah. And there's been so many, I've already taken that if I'd had level two, I was inconvenienced because, and it not in a, bad way but i could have skipped a dc fast charger altogether um and i i think if anything not only is level two the way to go but a large part of it too is um getting the blinking that my battery is dying on my camera but i'm also getting um uh, it, it just it would save it one the engineering and infrastructure costs go way down yeah, with yeah. level two and i think um there's something to be said that they most ac chargers need to be higher uh it would one it'd be awesome if we had three phase more here but two it uh just higher amperage um because even in a tesla model 3 model y one of the smaller or like a hyundai one of the smaller more efficient cars six kilowatts is fine but there's still a huge delta between how much charge you get back that uh between six and ten and then yeah. if you pull in with a Rivian, let alone like a GMC Hummer, that's not right. going to do anything. No. Um, and so, I mean, I, I would love to see not just on both sides, automakers make it so AC goes up to 16 uh, more frequently, but also a 16 kilowatt charge rate. And then seeing that in actual chargers installed. Um, I guess one of the questions I have for you is what. um, Is this on any of the minds of the large charging companies or is this, are they pretty much, I mean, uh, traditionally there's been like Blink and SEMA Connect that have had a large level two basis, but it seems to be with the Nevi funds and just the conversations. It's all about the DC fast charging versus um, Tesla seems to be the only one recently and maybe SEMA Connect that have been making some announcements or moves in level two.
1: No, there, there's, I mean, uh, all the attention right now because you know the headlines and the five billion dollars for Nevi and building out the corridors and Biden and you know and and uh, and and, and and you know all, all that stuff is sort of brought the media attention around uh, fast charging. But there there are um, a growing number of companies focused just on level two, and 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 trying to solve sort of very specific problems, right? Like, so we have a lot of, um, of, of companies focused on like verticals, right? So they're, they're, you know, so that there's so much money chasing and so many startups and coming out that they realize that, that, that they have to have a very tight strategy. And so, uh, like, I've worked with a number of companies that, that have innovative solutions around the multifamily space, right? Sort of, you know, everything from doing level one, you know, smart outlets like Plugzio and Orange and things like that to uh interesting financial structures of, of you know basically we'll pay for it and the apartment owner doesn't have to pay a penny we'll we'll do all that um, and everything in between but um, and a lot of companies are you know focused on fleet charging and 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 different things like that or we're seeing right one of the next areas is curbside charging right level two so whether it's pulling from you know a power pole, Right. And like Flow, uh, the Canadian company um, has been testing that in, in various cities and stuff where, you know, they attach the charger to a power pole, you know, work with the utility. And then they have a long cable that's on a you know, cable management, pulls down and plug in your car. Um, so there's there's, you know, uh, a lot of innovation going on there. But, yeah, there's 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 actually a bunch of companies Um, you know, and that are going to be charging like workplace charging. Like that's one of the untapped areas that not a lot of companies are, are yet focused on. And level two, again, is, is perfect for that. You know, you drive to work and your car sits there, you know, for eight, eight, nine hours or whatever it is. And with level two, right. You, you know, you, you could completely top up on, on that and stuff. So um, yeah, it just doesn't doesn't get the, the headlines. But but also, I mean, look at ChargePoint. I mean, ChargePoint is dominant in in level two charging. That's still, you know, if, if you crunch the AFDC numbers, you know, uh, you know, I forget the exact amount. So I'm going to be off here. But, you know, like 50, 60 percent of the level two public chargers in the US are probably ChargePoint, right? Like they just dominate. Right. Right. Um, Because that's that's kind of how they started and how they focused. But uh, so, yeah.
0: Yeah, I I think, um, yeah, obviously we could talk about this matter quite a bit just around level two. Um, I I am kind of curious. You talked about a few different things there. Um, One, (laughs) this reminds me, though, just the controversial question. If there is one level two charger and a PHEV and a full battery electric vehicle (laughs) show up, who should who has the right to it
1: uh whoever was there first right okay uh, but if but if it's but if it's uh a uh, uh, a tie yeah i mean uh, i mean they they both they both have a, a a right to it right i mean it's it's um now if if um you know, if it's two humans having a conversation and the, and the, and the BEV driver says, look, you know, all I need is, you know, is, is 15 miles of range to get to the next fast charger, which I couldn't make it to, you know, hopefully the, the PF driver will say, you know what, you know, I live, you know, whoop.
0: No, I'm, I'm still here. Uh, one second, I'll just switch video real quick. If you want to keep answering the question.
1: (laughs) Um, you know, I can. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to drive home uh, on on uh, electric, but um, you know, I'll I'll let you take it. You need it, and I'll just I'll just uh, you know drive drive the 15 miles uh, to home on, on on gas or whatever it is. But um, but yeah, I mean, I think um, uh, I mean I'm a I'm a huge fan of, of of plug-in hybrids, and I don't I don't get caught up into that. Um, that, that kind of debate, you know, people, people say they're not EVs. Well, if they aren't, then why are they called PHEVs? And why does the government give them EV incentives? And why do they have an electric motor and a battery, right? Like, so I, that just like drives me crazy. We could, again, that's another topic we could talk about for an hour, but, um, you know, plug in, you know, and again, like what what is, what is the number one thing uh, uh, PHEV haters talk about is that you know p have drivers don't plug in right so then when they do want to plug in that's a problem apparently yeah (laughs) you know so you can't can't have it both ways but um you know i i think and maybe to take the the topic in a slightly different direction is um you know I, i think one of the 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 reasons I'm a big fan of plug-in hybrids is, is I call them training pants, right? There's a lot of people that just aren't ready for, or BEVs, um, you know, actually aren't, aren't ideal for them. And so plug-in hybrids get people, you know, into at least a, you know, partially electric vehicle and driving maybe a lot of their, you know, 80, like the old Volt owners, you know, used to hear all these stories, people would literally had to drain their gas tanks because they never used the gas, you know, in 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 their cars because they could drive 80, 90, 95% of the time on uh, on on electric power, right? So I think that's the biggest issue we, with with plug-in hybrids is is there's been so many that just didn't have enough electric range, you know, 18, 20 miles of range, um, and um, and I think that's been a U.S. government regulatory failure. Like there should have been no incentives. Unless a a plug-in hybrid had, you know, minimum of like 35 miles of range, you know, somewhere in in that neighborhood, 30 to 35, right? Because at that level, it gets pretty interesting, right? Because then you can, you can drive to work or working back or whatever it is, but it, you know, 15 to 20 at, at, at some of these, it's like, give me a break right um I,
0: I think i have a more pessimistic view of phavs than you do sure. uh and that's that's the beauty I agree to disagree but i mean yeah. I, I think overall the points are right like um i think there should be a minimum i i think um it also does play a role in kind of that education that experience for people to understand what an ev could be for them um from an engineering standpoint i'm not a big fan <laughs> But that's a, that's a whole nother thing. But once yeah, again, no, like it's the, mean, having options and having the right car for multiple people is a good thing. Um, and I think there's definitely been some advances in it, but I, I think it is also really interesting um, because my fiance's mom actually just got the Volvo P have, and yeah. she replaced her diesel Mercedes with that. And then yeah. uh, her husband uh my fiance's father replaced their his diesel mercedes uh 6 months before that with a model y and she's liked in the volvo's a great car exterior interior wise but she's actually been really disappointed because she got so used to how fast level 2 charging on the uh model y was right. and i think the volvo's only like 3 so it's like an incredibly low charge rate
1: charge rate, rate yeah
0: and yeah. I mean, once again, it, it's, it's probably outstanding or a outlier experience than the norm, but, and like I said, having options is good, um, yeah, but it, think, it has just, it has been really interesting to hear their experience with it um, as someone who had kind of already made the leap. And then they just bought it almost yeah. as like a backup. Yeah. And then to hear yeah. that's the area that they love the car, otherwise, but the area where they have been disappointed is actually in the PHEV and kind of the range of it, which I yeah. think kind of goes back to what you're talking about around what it needs to minimums it needs to hit.
1: Yeah, and I and I hear I hear all sides of this those stories like that from from people who who drive plug-in hybrids. I actually I know uh, uh, somebody we were talking uh, about our company we we're talking about before the call. Um, he has he has one of the plug-in hybrid Volvos and, and it sits in the driveway and his, his wife has their car in the garage and he never plugs it in, but he so yeah. he drives it like a regular hybrid, right? But but I mean I think the other thing is is um you know I think we I could be wrong on this, but we might see a resurgence of plug-in hybrids, um, particularly with trucks, right? Like Ram is 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 gonna be coming out with a range extender because uh uh uh, bev trucks are are known for not being the greatest for towing trailers and things like that it cuts the range in 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 half and stuff and then people say well gas gas trucks also have lower range when they tow and stuff but it's obviously it's more pronounced with with bev for sure, for sure i think we could see like it's gonna be interesting to see when ram comes out with their uh revolution rev 1500 i'm thinking it's called whatever but then they're gonna they're gonna have a range extender uh on it and stuff so um you know never say never we could you know and toyota is still all in on regular hybrids and plug-in hybrids along with bevs and so um there's also um you know they're supposed to be coming out with a plug-in hybrid that has over 100 miles of of range there's um uh what is it? Is it Mazda? Mazda's got one coming out with it's gonna have 50 or 60 miles of rain. Like, you know, so we you know, while most everybody, you know, like GM in particular, and some of the others are like, no, we're just full BEV. It's either B E V or gas goes right? Nothing. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, several of them are still, you know, they're not letting go of the plug-in hybrids and um you know, we could see some innovation and, and you know, at 50, you know, 40, 50, 60 plus miles of range, plug-in hybrids are, are pretty attractive to a lot of people. And I think, you know, if our end goal, which is something we haven't even really talked about today <laughs> is, you know, our end goal is reducing GHGs, right? That, that's the point of this. The point is not to sell BEVs. The point is to reduce GHGs, and, you know would we rather have that late adopting you know pickup truck driver in Alabama uh, or Mississippi or North Dakota in a you know a plug-in hybrid ram or in in the diesel uh, right. Ram, right like just it's it's I, this I, I is, this don't is a I, I totally agree with you I, I transition think right so totally we, we, totally you know, I think
0: there's there's the engineering side of it there's the reality of it which i think you're doing a great job of highlighting um i i just think sometimes a lot of oems have used it more as a crux to do that versus going full in on bevs but that's kind of a different thing um no and i i mean dumb wrong, i met people who are happy and love their hybrids too i met a guy the other day at a Wilco when i was picking up some supplies and he had the bmw hybrid and he was he asked me about mine and he thought it was cool. And then he was like, yeah, I've changed. I think he sat it for a year and like maybe got two tanks of gas, which once right. again, huge improvement. And
1: yeah,
0: he once again, at least is getting in there and trying it. Um, my personal experience, I, I feel like a regular BMW is expensive enough. I cannot imagine how much a P have is gonna be when something goes wrong with it. Right. But that right. is my thoughts and commentary on it. <laughs> um and my own lived experience with their combustion engine cars which for a long time they made great ones um but uh i i realize we've kind of gone over time and then some with this but i I really appreciate this conversation i I think is there anything else you wanted to kind of cover on level two charging or um should we look at uh maybe one final question
1: um No, I think I mean you know I'm also a fan of level one charging, right? For sure, for sure. Like um, you know, like like, let's two two quick points there, right? Is um, uh, you know like for plug-in hybrids, right? If 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 you know if if you assume you can add 25 to 30 miles of range in like 10-12 hours overnight, um, you know I'm a big fan of like apartment complexes where you can actually put in like three times as many. Like smart outlet level one, 110, 120 outlets versus going all in on, you know, level two connected chargers or or whatever can get really expensive. But if you know, if you've got people that are driving to work or whatever, even with a BEV, right, if they can add 25, 30 miles of range overnight at the apartment complex, right, like that, that's that's yeah, I I think Um, I I think
0: that's totally spot on and something we haven't. We've kind of referenced, but haven't really specifically too. called out. Yeah. I was going to say airports, but. And
1: airports are like ideal. Like if you've got cars sitting in there three, four five days, right? Like it's stupid to have, you know, le- level two charging when, when somebody's going to, you know, probably in two hours, they're going to uh, replenish what they used to drive to the airport. Right. Exactly. It's then sitting there blocking. Right. So. Well,
0: and what I was going to say is just like the importance of having efficient BEVs. Um, and just I don't think enough people appreciate until they own one like how much f- faster your car charges when you have an efficient car, right. whether that's on level one or level two, even if you only charge overnight on level one, that's probably gonna be all you need um, for, especially for daily driving. I've done that quite a bit when I've been out and about and that's all that I've had access to.
1: Yeah, um, I mean whereas it's, once it's, again,
0: as much as I love a rivian and all those things, they're gonna you you can't really do that. <laughs> You need yeah. like a level two. And that kind of goes back to your point earlier is around just like the need for efficiency versus the use case. So like, yeah, if you're a guy that has a Silverado that tows horses all the time, totally get it. And that's where you probably would a uh, plug in hybrid make sense. But we just need to have that kind of infrastructure for more efficient vehicles. And uh, the realization of that is one of the big advantages to a well-designed and like a, a Bev that is kind of a clean sheet. You can design in a way to be lighter, more efficient. And then the end user experience is also that much better uh, when you're not always in the best charging situation.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we've sort of focused more on sort of the charging side, but there's also sort of the input to that, which is, which, as you said, is, um, you know, designing everything from, you know, the the aerodynamics of, of the vehicle to the, to the the size and the weight of, of the motors and the chemistry of the battery pack. And is it 800 exactly. volt? Uh, what's the charging curve? What's the maximum, you know, KW, you know, Hyundai and Kia get, get called out by a lot of people because of of their 800 volt charging systems and being able to charge it, you know, almost up to 350 KW. And, you know, good charging curves and things like that, right? So all those factors, you know, uh, and just the the efficiency of, you know, miles per kilowatt hour, right? That's one of my things that drives me crazy with, um, you know, a, a lot of these, you know, uh, pickups and, and you yeah. know, the Hummer and stuff like that. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're almost as inefficient as a gas car. I mean, the battery is so big, and the you know the the uh you know the range you get uh out of the battery, you know, two hundred plus, you know, kilowatt yeah. hour battery. I think um, that's John
0: Volcker, I forget, uh, but I thought it was him who said that it shouldn't be a surprise that the Hummer is the Hummer of EVs.
1: Right. Around yeah.
0: the efficiency of it. But I, I think um and I the whole eight hundred volt thing. Is a conversation unto itself, but I, I think that is a, a huge area where Hyundai and Kia really did shine and kind of focus earlier as efficiency, yeah, not just and- the the charging for inf- uh, architecture, yeah. but the efficiency of the car first, followed by just trying to make sure you have good charging. Because
1: yeah, yeah. And your 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 comment about designing from the ground up. I've spent a lot of time uh, with with the folks at Lucid Motors. You know, I live only like 35 minutes from from their headquarters. Been down there a couple times. Been to their factory out in Arizona. And, um, and you know, wh- while they've been having some struggles and 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 pains in scaling production and supply chain issues and now affordability issues and stuff, the the beauty of the Lucid Air is is literally everybody got in a room and designed that car together from the ground up. I mean, they literally designed the interior of the car in along with like the design of the motor, like they literally, every, every piece of that car was designed for efficiency. And that's why it, you know, it is, uh, you know, roughly the most efficient, uh, you know, BEV out there. Um, and you know people think it's like the battery size and stuff, but no, it's every piece of, of that right. car. Uh, it's, it's also very expensive of... car, but, exactly. but but I hope that's one of the efficiencies that, um, or you know, one of the trends that we see growing for, going forward is uh, not just. You know, I hate to pick on GM. I mean, GM's doing a lot of good things, but but they tend to just be throwing like bigger battery packs yeah. the, to solve the range issues instead of focusing more on like, you know, efficiency and, and things like that.
0: And it, it works if you're doing six figure cars, but if you're trying to scale, it yeah, dissolves quickly. And I, I, I completely agree on Lucid. I'm a huge, from an engineering side, a huge fan of what they're doing. And I, I think um, design wise, Engineering design wise, big fan stylistically, but personal opinion. Um, But I know, I know people who have them and love them and swear by them. So I I think there's a lot there. And I, uh, I think with how much we've covered, we could easily do a couple more podcasts clearly, but um, real quickly, just to wrap up, I I do have kind of one final question I'd ask everyone. And that's um, in your opinion, what are innovative ways that industry or government, or both can kind of accelerate the rollout of EVs uh, for more people.
1: I mean, I think it's you know we've 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 touched on on a, a lot of them. I think you know fundamentally, it's education, right? I mean, so much of what we've talked about is is just the, those sort of mis, misperceptions right around, uh, you know, how to charge and how much range you need and stuff like that. So we, you know, we fundamentally, you know, we need a smoky, the bear, you know, campaign or something we, we need, we need to, to, you know, only you can prevent forest fires, like whatever it is. Right. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I think, uh, I mean that gets sort of over overplayed, but, um, I mean, most of it comes down to sort of the industry and the automakers, just what we've talked about producing, you know, more efficient, more affordable vehicles. Because fundamentally, that's what it comes down to, right? Like, you know, how many people can buy a six hundred dollar iPhone versus a two hundred dollar iPhone, right? And so, and that's kind of totally where where, where we're at, and we're still at the sixty five to eighty thousand dollars is is most. Uh, EVs and and so I, I think um, uh, you know one of the things is, is just I've not been a big fan of the how the federal uh, government um, you know incentives either the previous tax credit or the, the, the current IRA uh, clean vehicle credit one in that um, uh, as I said I think we need to incentivize it around efficiency uh, and affordability the price. You know the MSRP caps should have been should have been lower and things like that. In other words, let's use those sort of government-designed incentives to actually force the automakers to produce more efficient, more affordable vehicles. Um, and uh, you know, I th- I think that would be a big help. And then again, all the things we've talked about on on the charging side. Um, of you know sort of education uh, and uh, and and you know ultimately you know the Nevi rules around um, uptime is going to help uh, improve the customer experience, which is is probably just, you know uh, the, all the bad press. Is is probably obviously not not helping getting getting people to to go down and butts in seats and take a test drive of of, of an EV because they're they're afraid that the charger's not going to work right. So totally. we've kind of been our own. You know, we in the industry love bashing all the charging companies and how bad the charging experience is, but by doing that, you know, we're actually not not helping the the awareness and 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 brand For and sure. visibility and perception of EVs. So it's. A, it's all of the above is what we need to do, basically. I I, <laughs>
0: yeah. I think that's the correct answer, unfortunately, or fortunately. Yeah. But yeah, you're yeah, totally there is, right. There is um, no
1: silver bullet, you know.
0: Exactly. Yeah. It, it used to be we were bashing that there was only one or two options or EVs were too expensive, and we still kind of are. But uh, now it's the, it seems to be different flavors of the month, and uh, we're all kind of working towards raising as many boats as we can with the yeah, different yeah. challenges of the industry. But, um, you know, with that, I just want to say thank you so much, Lauren. I realized this went over time, but um, this has been a great conversation. we we'll look forward to having you back soon.
1: Yeah, thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, and uh, maybe in the future we can, uh, yeah, we can pick a single topic and, and, and really dive in deeply. Although I think we kind of did that here just on many topics. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, thank you again. again.
0: All right, bye. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to visit our website, connectingthegrid.com. There you can listen to our podcasts, contact us about sponsorship, or even be a guest on Grid Connections. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a positive rating on your favorite podcast or video streaming service. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out a lot too. Thank you again. And I look forward to us learning more together
1: soon.